Hi, my name is Arman, and you're listening to the Yes I Am podcast. At this podcast, we have vulnerable and venting conversations full of integrity with guests about their life stories and how it influences who they are today. You can follow me on Instagram at ArmanASKZ to stay connected. And for more information, you can follow the Yes I Am podcast on Instagram at YIA underscore Yes I Am. And now let's get inspired. My today's guest is curious, creative, and a puzzle solver. He is a chief strategist of the Promise Gen Network, Dan McMorris. Welcome to Yes I Am Podcast, Danny. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, Armand. Good to see you today. Uh, you sent me a message last night saying go easy on me. So are you ready? <laughs> no, I want you to go easy on me. My first podcast. I've never done this. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, one of the things about you that you see the world in a very interesting lens, you know, the way you problem solve and uh, think about different, different events in the world. And then you put them in a, in a bigger picture together to make a sense out of them. And uh, what I'm really interested in to know today is basically how, how did you come up with that lens? You know, because everyone has a different lens. How everyone has a different lens uh, that they use to see the world, but yours is is unique, you know, as 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 much as everyone's lens is unique, the way that they interpret different problems and different situations. So to start that, I want to ask you this question. Okay. Um, who are you behind the closed doors? And what would it take for you to open the door and let everyone see who you are? Wow. Who am I behind closed doors? I think that I am honestly a, just a normal dude behind closed doors. Um, and what would it take for, to let those, you know, to let the doors open? I, there's a lot of, I've got, you're correct. I've got a, a, a unique perspective. And it comes from a history of redefining problems and reframing in the context of situations. And often that gets a different perspective. And you do that long enough and there's, I don't know that there's a pressure, but there's an expectation. And so behind closed doors feels safe, but um, right. So relatively few people, you're one of them that are, that understand at least, um, how I can, what I, how I can see some things, what it would take. I think, um, I'm, you know what? I don't know. I don't know the answer to the second question I'm on. Is that fair? I don't know what it would take for that door to open. No, that's totally fair. But, um, is there, is there, uh, a difference between, you know, the Dan, Dan who is in a meeting and talking to everybody than a Dan that is in a room, nobody's watching you and like what is going on in your mind, you know, who you are, do you, do you feel like you are more, you're maybe, 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 do you think your inner child is more out there? Do you feel like you are more alive when you're by yourself than when you are like around other people? No, I like to be around people. I like to be around people, but when I am by myself, I try to do things to balance, right? Whether it's, you know, music or reading or yeah. a hike, 
try to do something that's completely opposite what it is that I do uh, or what I'm asked to do or must do in you know certain situations, either for work or problem solving. So I try to do the opposite. Try to balance, you know, left, right brain, mm-hmm. and let, right that whole thing. Just try to balance it out, bud. If I am um, sitting in uh, in the same desk with you in high school, who are you? In high school? Yeah. Oh, uh, high school. I was a little bit across uh, the map. The theme, the theme for me, Armand, um, what you're alluding to in terms of seeing through the different lens, I, I didn't have a group in high school. All groups were my group. I was, you know, in the band. I was in the choir. I was on, you know, the stage. I was in the, the student government. I was on, you know, varsity athletics. I just kind of did whatever, whatever. I did everything. And I think it's that kind of broad view that um, honestly set me up. So, you know, sitting next to me in high school or at the same desk or whatever, anything's fair game, whether it's, you know, the game of chess or whether it is uh, a a book club or it's, you know, talking about what happened last week at the football game. It's, you know, all of it was open. That was, that's high school for me. That was my experience in high school. So you were like, if you want to like put yourself in a group of people that are in high school, like, would you say you were the cool kids? You were more of that uh, person that's like more into sports or like you were more into someone that like had, you had your own time and shy. Any, cl- it, there was no group. I was just across groups. Like, you know, I didn't tend to hang out with those that were, you know, heavy drug users or like that yeah. group, but everybody else. Yeah, hang out with all of them, just doing whatever. That was that's what I was doing, Armand. That's the honest answer. And I didn't care really what people thought, right? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes those groups define kind of uh, the perspective, especially in high school. And there's some you know criticism that comes. Um, I didn't feel any of that. I, I you know didn't judge. I just kind of I embraced everybody, whether it was you know again there's the spiritual or religious groups. There were the yeah. Um, the fit, you know, the, the varsity athletic groups, you know, I could do a, enough things relatively well that I could relate. And that was, and I think, again, that gives, that's part of my lens that, that is part of my lens, Armand. So, uh, your, your lens has, has been like the same since high school. Is that what you're saying? No, no, it hasn't been the same. It's evolved. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it, um, it certainly reflects. The, the lens that you're talking about, which is, again, how do you, it's different perspectives on the same problem or multiple at the same time often yeah. that indicate that there's something unique. Mm-hmm. Solving a problem for me, Armand, comes from defining and framing it in correct, appropriately. I, don't, I almost said correctly. That's not the right way. It's appropriately. Mm-hmm. And talking to so many different people with different perspectives and histories and backgrounds, right, mm-hmm. enriches you. It gives you that, a different perspective. It gives you a different understanding. And so that's what I would embrace. So is it directionally the same, but specifically? No, it's, it's you know, obviously it's evolved since then. So you were that curious uh, kid that wanted to kind of get to know or like poke on everything and think, see what's going on around, right? Curious is right. That's a good way of saying it. Curious. Right? Insatiable curiosity. 
Was there when you were in high school? Was there a moment of adversity for you? Yes, yes. I remember distinctly the scene. My senior year was really, really tough. Really? Um, yeah. Had moved around a, a number of times, Ramon. Mm -hmm. um, and so readjusting to a new school every you know two and a half years was was part of it. But my senior year in particular, there was a lot of pressure. I felt a lot of pressure to. Um, go to the right school or to do the right things. And that was a real period of adversity for me. Pressure from who or from what? Well, I think this, you know, the group around, right? The expectations, you know, where, where would you go, right? Um, that, that was tough. That, that was a tough period of time for me, for sure. How did you deal with it? Well, so I've been playing music since I was very, very young, like four or five years old. I started playing violin, Suzuki. Yep. And it was, I think, uh, one of the, my choir director or my jazz band director, or the, I can't remember, sat me down basically, brought me in at lunch one day and said, what's going on? Uh -huh. So it, it, was, it was a slight intervention, right? They're like, dude, what are you doing? What's happening with you? So that's how, you know, and then listening working through and listening to those people that you trust and your friends. That's how I got through it. And hell, I mean, maybe I'm not through it. <laughs> maybe I'm still going what through do you, it. What do you think? Like right now, do you feel like you went through it or are you still dealing, dealing with it? I think we're all dealing with it. <laughs> you, you started another question. <laughs> I flipped the question on myself. I think we're all dealing with some of that. But um, yeah, no, I got through that time. And I focused and you know, moved on. Everyone does, right, buddy? Well, that's a, I think that's a key word, move on. Like, moving on is different than um, accepting it and really dealing with it. Did you move on from it, or did you accept it and, like, learn from it or deal, deal with it? Yeah, it's both. And that, that's a constant learning. Well, the, the, the curiosity, I think, for me is, you know, ongoing. And it, they, it also, you know, it's external, but it's also internal, Anand. So... Mm -hmm. You're looking at, you know, you're, I'm looking at myself, I'm looking at the world, I'm looking at events, whether they're financial or economic, uh, mm -hmm. political or geopolitical or work or just, you know, puzzles, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, it's the perspective that is important, I believe. So, yes, moved on, but also, you know, introspect and, you know, review yourself. So that part, I think, is a constant. You've got to constantly review yourself, right? And you are, you are constantly reviewing yourself right now? Then. I, I try. Yeah, I do. I try. I mean, it's not like an everyday thing. Yeah. Sit down and do it. But I, I, I think it's important that we all do that, right? Mm -hmm. Review your, every, every, every situation helps define who you are, right? You're taking a piece of that with you. And so mm -hmm. going through different relationships, going through different um, physical locations that you live, going through different jobs. Uh, different pro um, projects, as an example, so, you know, taking time to actually sit back and look what went well, what didn't, um, what did I learn, what's new, what surprised me, whatever it is. I think that's important. I really do. Um, whether you sit down and intentionally do it or it just happens. Um, I tend to just do it. I don't know that I sit down and have a routine, but yes, the answer for, to your question is that's what I, you know, I'll review after each one of those. Take, take stock, right? Mm -hmm. Try, at least. 
<laughs> and um, you know, you know, when I when I think about um, moving on, accepting adversities, I think about uh, letting your mind to free and letting your letting your past to really like or making sense of your past, you know, that's what I think about when I think about kind of dealing with the past events, you know, making sense out of them. How does that reflect it? And how, how, how does it reflect on me? And how, what was the meaning for me in the life, you know? And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a good way of looking at some point, looking back, what's the meaning? What did I learn? And, and, and you think... Uh, and I think personally, when you do that, you bring a lot of joy and happiness to your life, you know, because you spend less time to thinking about those, those moments, those adversities that were like really, you know, stuck with you since like the childhood and things like that. So more you deal with them, more you make sense out of them, more happier you become. I think that's true. That's a good way of looking at it, Armand. Are you happy? Yes. Yes. Yes, I'm happy. And yes, I'm not happy, right? There's, a, there's levels of, of contentment, and it depends on which area, Armand. But overall, if I look back at my, you know, my history, yeah. Yeah, I'm proud. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. What would you define happiness for you? How would I define happiness? Oh, friendships? Mm-hmm. Uh, Friendships, right? Relationships, people around you, mm-hmm. uh, contributing positively to those people that you care about and feeling mm-hmm. back. That's, that's success. That's happiness. How about being able to sleep comfortably at night? It's a good way of, in- that's a good indication, I would think, right? Yeah. You bet. <laughs> um. Where are you driving at, buddy? <laughs> All right, I wanna, I wanna uh, start talking a little bit about, you know, you're the chief strategist for the Promise Gen Network. Yeah. And uh, I feel like the way that you think about the world and problems, it has helped you to really strategize, you know, even, even before you start working uh, at Providence Chain, you still like, had a lot of jobs that were about marketing, sales, strategizing, and how to kind of be creative uh, to deal with the problems of the future. Yeah. Um, so what I'm very curious is when you wanna, when you wanna solve a problem, what's the first approach you take? Well. So Did the- you write notes? No. No, no, you're seeing this live. You told me not to. You said just show up. So I'm I'm digesting your question, Armand. I mean, you've heard me say this before. And I think you challenged me in terms of the the intuitive side versus the analytical side. And it was an excellent challenge. The -hmm. way that I used to frame it in was, you know, when you define the, the appropriate, when you find the appropriate definition of the problem is when you find the solution. And I think people come with their own biases toward the problem. So I spend some, I spend a hefty amount of time looking at the parameters, right? Looking at the definition of, of the issue, the problem, the focus, what it is you're, what is it you're trying to accomplish? And what I tend to do 
is you start relaxing the assumptions around just to see if there's alternative viewpoints of it. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, you bring those assumptions to bear that this is a financial problem. Okay, relax that assumption. And what that means is challenge yourself to think, is this entirely financial? Is it economic? Is it emotional? And once you start relaxing those assumptions that you bring to the table, you can consider other influences. And eventually what ends up happening, at least from my experience, is that you start to see or at least consider options that would allow you to look the lens. There's your lens that may allow you to look at it differently. And when you can do that, you often find the creative solutions. You know, I'll say it more definitively than that, Armand. It's not until you can do that that you will find the most effective creative solution. Can you repeat that? I don't know that I can. Isn't this recorded? Re rewind that. Um, it's not until you are willing to look and relax some of your assumptions to consider other alternative viewpoints that you will find the most creative and effective solution to a problem. Well, that's just like in a, in a very simple way of saying, um, look or think about it outside of the box. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a way, and there's a way to think outside the box, but you challenged me on, you know, a call over here a while ago is that sometimes that happens systematically and sometimes it's intuitively. Sometimes you naturally do it. And I think both of those, you know, I was reflecting on what you said. I'm like, yep, that's, yes, yes, right? But that, or actually it was, I think, Mary Lou, but regardless, it was, you know, that is a, a very, very positive way of approaching it too. Sometimes it's just intuitive and you let your body and your experience, you understand and you trust it. Mm -hmm. The other side of it is that sometimes it takes there, there, you could benefit from a structure. And so one of the structures that you could bring to this is to start writing down the assumptions that you have about the issue, about the problem. Start writing it down. Mm -hmm. It's a financial problem. It's a distribution problem. It is a, I mean, start figuring it is localized in the United States. It is whatever it is that are your assumptions. Don't limit yourself, just write them down. And systematically go through each one of those and relax the assumption one by one and see if you, you see indications that maybe there's other influences at play. Because again, it can help you. My particular view of the world, um, what's happening now, in my view, is that we are in the middle of a financial system shift. Yeah. Right. And that is driven from economics. And so... I personally believe that we are also in the middle of world war, whatever. I think that is informational and economic, potentially biological, and there's a different ways to you get there. Not to go off on that tangent, but the point is that if you start limit, if you start writing some things down about your assumptions about the problem or the issue and relax them one by one systematically, you start to question, you're challenging your own bias. That's what friends do. That's what the different, you know, think of your, your, your question in high school. You've got different groups that have their different topics. Yeah. And you bounce around topic to topic. They all have a different view of the same teacher. Or they all have a different view of the same. I mean, that was what the experience was or what was most important. And so if you only view 
the problem through the lens of your strength, you're going to find a solution that is only to your strength, but it may not be the appropriate solution. So you got to open up to different perspectives and then engage, engage people in conversations, talk about it, challenge. So it needs to be a, that, that also needs to be a part of it, Armand. And that's the process. When you asked me, right, mm -hmm. how did the solution for the PCN came about the same way? It's yeah. not just limited by tracking a product. I mean, that's unique, right? That's the way most of our competitors did it. We took a completely different approach and we targeted the supply chain. And so once you do that, you can get the transactions and then you can suddenly interject you know, evidence. And we've got a whole nother, uh, whole nother solution set to bring to bear because we weren't limited by just what the problem set was. So that's, that's the approach. And again, I think your, your challenge to me, whether it's intuitive or structural, right? I, I used to come at it from a very structural standpoint, right? Very, you know, had a process but it also can happen intuitively, right? You can just have a natural reaction. And I think that's both are completely healthy, both. I mean, you're doing it for so many years. Is it, is it intuitive right now for you? Yeah, that's part of it for me is that it just happens that way, right? But did so, it start systematic? Yes. Yes? Well, um, yes and no. It, it started naturally with the curiosity because it's just, Insatiable curiosity will let you ask so many questions, right? But I remember a class in particular when I went to grad school. I went to MBA at, at uh, Notre Dame, Mendoza, and there was a creativity class. And they asked, Can, is creativity taught or is it innate? That was the very first question. I'm mm -hmm. like, wow, all right, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. One of the things that they did, we did as a class exercise. It was so, it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. the, the professor, the teacher of this particular class that I think was from IDEO, um, put a chair in the middle of the room. I'm like, okay, write down as many assumptions as you can in the next three minutes about that chair. That's sure. And go. Yeah. All right. So it was all quiet. We start writing things down like, okay, four, four, it has four legs, mm -hmm. right? It's got you know, a, a back to it. It's, it's made out of wood. It is know firm i mean you start writing these things down and once once you get good at it you start realizing okay he stopped he's like we're gonna go one by one around the room we're gonna relax one assumption from each of you it's like okay um and one guy you know one guy gal whatever said okay it's got four legs he's like excellent happens if you've got a three-legged chair i mean that is that a creative solution maybe maybe not but now you're looking at it differently someone else said well yeah the legs go down to the ground he's like ah interesting what happens if the legs of the, of the chair come from the ceiling, come from above you? Now that chair can actually you know, hydraulically lift up out of the way and drop down when you need it. There's nothing below it. Alternative heights, like that, that's a creative solution. That's an interesting chair. Someone else said, well, it was made out of wood and metal. He says, okay, what happens if you relax that assumption? And we started doing things with plastics and you know, uh, it was blown up, right? Yeah. And then someone said, well, what happens if it has no material? He's like, excellent. He goes, now you're thinking. He goes, actually, in some space, um, uh, space rockets or whatever, they actually have chairs that are made out of air or like at a certain area. And once you start sitting down, a jet of air will actually push against you to keep you in place. So mm -hmm. there is a physical chair. It is a, uh, 
a functional chair. It's a, it, does, it serves the same purpose in a different way. And so you've got all these things in, to, to bring to bear. And now you're talking creativity. You're talking about a chair that is responsive to like spatial relations as something's coming down along a jet and then being able to adjust, coming down from the ceiling, maybe having different number of legs or having one leg, well, no. uh, right? Being inflated rather than being built, right? Now you're talking. So that's, an, that's a quick example, Armand, about where, it, for me, it started to accelerate, right? The curiosity and the perspectives that I would have from that exercise really set up um, my particular career in problem solving. Uh, one thing I'm very curious right now is you said something at the beginning uh, when you were talking about uh, relaxing your, your, your bias and your thoughts, hmm. you know, but when it comes to like a chair, you don't necessarily have necessary biases, but when it comes to uh, a more and more bigger problems, how do you relax your thoughts though? When I say relax, I'm saying um, allow for your, your assumptions to not be limited. That's when I'm using relax. I'm not talking physical relaxation, although that. No, I, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, so no. you're just listing the listing the assumptions, and then you're systematically relaxing that parameter to see if something else could be at play. And you can do that for a problem set, or you could do that for a physical object. You can do that for anything. Anything. Mm -hmm. And in, invariably, we've done this as a team exercise. And if, if people are listening to this podcast, thinking about how to apply it, my recommendation, what I've seen done the best is that that kind of work is done individually. And if you have a team of like, say six, you each individually go for a period of time and write them down, bring them back and then talk about it. Mm -hmm. But you don't want that to be a group thing. You don't want that to be influenced by others' spontaneous thoughts. You wanna have your own view of what that is and then go through and relax each one of those assumptions collectively. Makes, makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Uh, I want I want to bring up uh, the topic of critical thinking. How critical thinking is like, because it it sounds very similar to me when you think critically and you you be, become creative and think strategically. What is critical thinking to you? Do you think they are the same thing or they are different? I I was just when you said critical thinking, I'm like, oh, I wonder what the definition of that is. I I don't I don't know. Um, it could be one and the same. I think that I've done, when I look back and reflect on my career, what I've, what I've done, mm -hmm. many would say was a strategic role or a you know, the, an critical analysis role, mm -hmm. but it wasn't necessarily the title. It mm -hmm. was just, it was just contributing to the solution to a problem. That's really what, what drew me. That, that's what draws me is to how do you solve a problem and add value to whatever the situation or whomever's a part of it? And how you do that, yeah, there's a structured approach and maybe that is critical thinking. Maybe that is another way of thinking about it, Armand. I just have never put that label on it. What do you think? Is it critical thinking? I think it is critical thinking. And uh, I mean, here's my analogy about like the creativity and like well, how, how do I think about creativity? So I feel like uh, everyone is creative, you know? and this is a little bit spiritual for me too. You know, I think about the God as the, the biggest creator. And we are all 
all also uh, have a soul of God and we all also creators. And we need to use, but and when we start realizing that we are creative and we are creators, the possibilities are limitless. You can start thinking about so many different ways to approach. And that's very similar to critical thinking, you know, when, when, when a problem occurs and you need to think about it, critical thinking is about not just like uh, react, but observe, observe first, analyze, and then uh, look at facts and then find a way of approach. That's to me critical thinking. And it's very similar, I think, to me, uh, to creative, being creative. I'll buy that. Okay. That's really interesting. I often wondered if critical thinking, that label, that, that uh, moniker on yeah. it limits the effectiveness of you know, what's done. Um, so I guess I've just ignored the label. But it might be. That's a, it's an interesting way of thinking about it, Armand. And let me ask you this then. Uh, you are a creative person. Do you think uh, creativity and uh, being uh, strategic is in a skill? Or do you think it, it happens to you through life? Or like, you know, like, do you feel you're born with it? Or like some certain events in your life have helped you to create this lens? Both. Both? That's not a cop-out. I, I will tell you that my answer to the question the first day of that creativity class mm-hmm. when they said is it innate or is it um is it can it be taught and i was like yeah. is it innate? either you got it or you don't mm-hmm. and then we went through this exercise and i'm like holy wow no you could teach this mm-hmm. you could teach this and what happens is that you expose the level of creativity of each individual person mm-hmm. by going through that effort mm-hmm. and you get the best out of that person whatever their experiences are by giving them the courage and the freedom to explore the boundaries of the definition of the problem or the definition of the solution, either way. And I I think that's where you get the best um, result, best impact, if that makes any sense. No, it does, it does, it does make sense. Um, So if you think there were certain events that helped you, yeah, helped you, come up with this lens, give me some examples. Like when you think about your life, what are some examples? Um, some experiences that I've had, right? Mm-hmm. So that first one, that, that class was one of them, right? Yeah, um, but, but you, you weren't even thinking kind of similar to that way when you were in high school though. True, you know? true. At a very young age, honestly, you know, starting to play music and realizing the relationships between the dots and the squiggles on the page is relative. And you can get so much information communicated through, um, through music, through a, on a sheet of music. I actually encourage everybody at some age to have at least a year of musical exposure yeah. because it changes the way that your brain can think. And I think that for me kicked it off, is, had, is breaking that boundary um, and not just be limited to what it is that you're taught in school, but to have the experience of the emotional, the volumetric, the relative pitch, the um, style, the, you know, it was violin for me. So it was like bow movements and pressure and tempo, all of those things and dynamics. There's so many aspects. Yeah. 
and you're taking it all in at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's what you learn. And it's Suzuki teaches you to do it just with your ear and you ignore the visual. So that's one of the very first things that I think set me up online is that just that broad approach. And then it was seeking other people that had multiple opinions, multiple views, right? And realizing that not one view is the correct view. I always talk about the appropriate, right? What's appropriate depends on the definition of the problem, the the appropriate solution. So it's not always just correct, black and white. It gets into this area of gray. Mm -hmm. And opening yourself up to live in that area of gray and engage other people, having a true dialogue, right? We've lost the ability lately, in my opinion, to have that kind of back and forth dialogue. Mm -hmm. But it's important to engage and seek out alternative views and opinions. That also has set me up. Getting to this spot in class, right? Where it said, okay, here's a structural way to engage in this. Think about it differently. For me, it took my approach and put it on steroids. Like, wow, my first job out of MBA, I was working with my brand manager and we cross-tabulated census data with a, with a segmentation study. And by doing that, it had never been done before in the way that we did it. We were able to look and observe and find opportunities to reposition brands for growth. And it was a phenomenal exercise. And that one actually you know, got recognized at the company level. So there was a lot of pride for me there. I was like, wow. Yeah, you know, you know, made all the directors their bonuses because of work that my manager and I did on that pro- project in that way. But it was a creative way of approaching it. And then, you know, the very next one, I had to rebuild an entire supply chain, and we had three months to do it. Yeah. And when you get dropped into the trenches like that, and you experience right, there's very little, there's very few um, experiences that are any better. Um, than that type of experience in exposing you to uh, problem solving because you have to do it. Mm-hmm. You simply have to do it, right? And sometimes there's not the time to go through at the initial and try to get everything perfect. You just got to get it functional. And then the problem solving comes later when you realize the impact. So that one too, when we had to, we had to go so fast, Armand, to rebuild that supply chain that we made pretty much every mistake in the book, every mistake. And then it was unwinding those mistakes where you get to see the context of it over the next you know, four, five, six years mm-hmm. um, to unwind. Those are the things that I think set me up for where I'm currently at right now at PCN, yeah. right? that, you know, that type of problem solving. So it was a little bit of everything. Interesting. Uh, okay, I want, I, want, I want to go a little bit back back before PCN, before all this like kind of wor- like work type of environment experiences. Uh, I'm wondering uh, as a kid and in the environment that you're going in, do you see a lot of like, I don't know, um, maybe siblings, parents, family being that curious or like, do they ask you to, hey, like, like I don't know, do they, do they bring that, that side of you to kind of ask questions? Do they engage me in those questions? Yeah. Often, yeah. Yeah. Often. Um, yeah, I was that kid that <laughs> was that kid that kept asking questions, right? I was that kid. I was like, what? Why? But you know, Dan, uh, here's the thing though. Like, I feel like that's just like in the nature of any kid, you know. When you're a kid, I agree. You, I agree. 
like you're like okay what is that what is this you know you keep just pointing and asking and there are some people like you that keep going up and still asking that right and i feel like sometimes it has to do with how those questions have been answered did someone take the time to sit down and help you to answer those questions when you had them or even how did how did they answer you? You know, some people say, okay, like you, you know, like you know, Jeff, that uh, we both know. Uh, you ask him a question, and he says, okay, what do you think? You know, like it, that's that's one of the ways to answer your oh, question. Right. What do you think about the answer? Do you think? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. The, yeah. I, I you know I agree. There's different ways. Um, I I can recall in high school, my summers were spent um, doing actually competitive marching band and drum corps. Yeah. And I ended up becoming an instructor. And I remember as an instructor, we were sitting back and we looked at what it is that we had to do. And there were a few things called like some blind sets, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're, you got people, you know, racing backwards and running. And um, at the same time, trying to be musical and keep everything, you know, smooth. It's one of the most difficult things I've done. I've done every sort of athletic event you know that you could think of basketball track football um and this was the most strenuous that i've ever seen we couldn't get through a 10 minute show and by about six minutes in we were all exhausted because of what it was that we could do we sat down as a team as the the leadership team and we just said you know what we're just not going to tell the kids how hard this is we're just going to tell them what 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 is needed and yeah. they're going to figure it out and so that's what we did. And even the judges, as they're looking at it, they're like, how the heck are you doing it at this pace? And what you, how do you, how did you do this? Mm -hmm. You know, and the kids just, I mean, they would go running over lunch, you know, in the middle of the heat in the summer, they would, we just didn't tell them that there was any limitation, go get it. That type of experience and encouragement, Armand, is one of those life changing, um, perspective changing events. And that was, right. And so we were empowered from the, you know, the, the director to go and explore and, and do this. And then we had success with it. So seeing that whole thing through, yeah, that's another thing that I think shaped my, my, maybe my confidence in using this, right. Mm -hmm. Is that you had, I had it nurtured. We had it built, we supported, applied now mm -hmm. go do something impossible. And once you do something impossible or that other people think they're impossible, your definition of possibility changes. It just, it just does. There's Love no that. way to say it other than that. Mm -hmm. That maybe that, that event right there also helped me limit and move back the boundaries, right? So that I, I'm not necessarily limited by what other people think is possible and not. I just, I just don't accept that anymore. I've seen it. I've lived it. So that was a very, um, that was a very shaping event, I guess probably in, in my career path, right? 100%. It might be different for others. 100%. You know, like, it's, it's very similar for me. When I, when I was growing up, uh, I was always like, say, okay, like, what is that? What is this? Begging questions too. Like any other kid. And my mom would always be like, okay, what do you think? You know, my mom would always like, led me to uh, elaborate first before she gives me a definite answer and she always does. She tell me there's no definite answer. Isn't you know? that? Yep. Yep. And I it's feel like that's, 
that helps a lot with like understanding that like possibilities are limitless. You know, there's nothing such as impossible if you think about it that way. Yeah. Oh, actually, let me ask you this. Do you think there's something, there's anything that's impossible? <laughs> we, just, we just set ourselves up for that one. Right? <laughs> I, I would imagine that there are. You think so? Yeah, where that line is, I don't know that I could give you the answer. Is it possible for me to jump over a mountain? Oh. Well, I mean, go back to the creativity class, redefine the problem. Now you can say if, if you know, assisted with, you know, yeah, sure. Okay. Then, then you start thinking differently. But I think maybe that's part of the approach, Armand, is that, you know, re you're redefining the boundaries, push them back and you start to see a, a world of possibilities. And it's exciting, right? It actually truly is exciting when you can work together to solve a problem. Is anything impossible? A good question. I'm actually going to have to think about that one, buddy. You know what? You know what I'm actually uh, interested. You know the fact that you said, "Is it is it possible to jump on top of the mountain?" That comes to down to this. Um, what's your definition of jumping? Yep. You yep. know, like I will tell you. If, I will tell you this though, with certainty, that if you think it's impossible, you're done. You're done. Yeah, hundred percent. But right? like, you're done. Think about like, I don't know. I'm gonna get a parachute. I'm gonna go up. You know, there are definitely different ways, you know, mm -hmm. it's just like yeah. how much I feel like when you're creative, you also expand the definitions. You must. You must. By, by definition, you do. Yes. And you're reshaping. So that's why I don't talk about the, the correct answer or the correct solution. It's the appropriate solution. It has to do with the context and the, the perspective you're trying to solve. And often... What I have learned is that the, what we thought was the initial problem mm -hmm. um, changes and evolves and that you, when you get into it, you're, you realize it's slightly different and you must be open to that as well and encourage it. To your point, ask the team, right? Or ask the people, mm -hmm. what do you, what do you see? What's mm -hmm. your experience, right? So, and I think that together then you can figure out, oh, is there something that's impossible? Probably. Where is that boundary? I guess I don't necessarily know. Do you? What do you think? Let me flip it on you, right? What do you think? <laughs> I'm the host here, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm trying. I'm trying. Oh, God. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I personally 100% agree with what you're saying in terms of, I feel like here, here's the thing about possibilities. When you... Or let, let, let me step back. I always was very fascinated when I was growing up, uh, who give these definitions to different words, you know? Yeah. Like you, you, got, you, got, you got Oxford Dictionary and all this kind of stuff, but and which is very, a lot of times those definitions are vague, you know? And sometimes they're specific, but at the same time, I feel like they should not be specific. For the creator, definition is just words. What they can do with that word is, is, is limitless. You know, you can interpret one word so many different ways. Again, like if you have so many different lenses, you, you, you may think about one phrase a 100% different way than I think about it. And that, that, that's, I think that's the beauty of like human beings. You know, we all can have our own definitions. Yeah. But I think what will help us to be more creative is to 
start thinking about other definitions, not only my definition, but our other definition. You know, the way that you said, talked about uh, come up with different assumptions, you know, that's the same thing. Yeah. What are other definitions that people can have? I love you it. Know? Yeah. I love it. Yep. Your, yep. your assumptions and the boundaries, both. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a fantastic way of looking at it. Um, Michael came up with a question I want to ask you. Um, so it says many kids struggle with problem solving. What is one key aspect you, you would advise those kids to do or understand in order to become better problem solvers? Mm. What, what immediately came to mind. Yeah. Again, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a math number geek, right? Mm -hmm. Realizing that there's not just one solution to your point. Mm -hmm. That to me is what I would encourage that groups. Oftentimes, oftentimes, right? You are, you're being taught or you're trying to do an assignment. Those kids generally mm -hmm. are in school, right? Yep. They have an assignment for how to solve a problem. And if they don't get it exactly right in the right way, they get it wrong. Yet some of them may come up with the same answer. I would say that there's different applications. There's all sorts of theories that you can apply mathematically. Math applied mathematics is just a phenomenal field, phenomenal field. And it's a good example of how something finite like mathematics can be looked and viewed at creatively. Accounting. There's certainly creative ways to account, mm -hmm. right? And it, can you have um, a, a negative inventory? Can you have a negative uh, revenue flow, right? Mm -hmm. A contra account. I mean, you have different things that you can bring to bear to solve a problem or to that applies to a, a particular solution. Mm -hmm. So the kids that are struggling likely don't have the confidence. Mm -hmm. And I would all I would encourage them to think about the fact that there's not just one solution. There's no stress. Okay, see what you find. Go explore. Let's go see what you can do. That's what I would encourage. You know, my, my math, my math teacher in, um, in high school, sophomore year, I was always very, very obsessed with math, you know, big math person growing up. And I remember he would, he would tell me that. And also my parents, they were like, oh, good. Not only one way to solve a math problem. There's unlimited ways you can, anyone can solve a math problem their own way. Yep. And that by itself just made me fascinated about math. Right? Yeah. Yep. I agree. I agree. It actually gets exciting when you think of it that way. It does. It does. There's different ways. Mm -hmm. I agree. That's a wonderful, I'm glad you had that experience. Yeah. I think that, that was like kind of one of the really life-changing ones, you know, because then I started understanding that like there, there are more ways to, to approach something than just the one that somebody tells you. Right. Yeah. Well, you see, you're doing some of the same things there that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and, you know, you know, like coming back to like our current society, I feel like that's one of the things that, oh, okay. Let me, let me step back about that. I feel like United States in general, we know us as a country that invents, we are innovators, you know, we are not necessarily the best producers, you know, that would be probably China, you know, to produce more, but we innovate, you know, we innovate. So I want to say even like we are uh, like here, 
way better at like thinking creatively and thinking about different possibilities than other places. But when you think about it, our, the way that people are interpret, interpreting what is going on in our society right now is just through very, very small lens mm -hmm. and it's a big assumption. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, and I, I'm curious to know your answer that what do you think for a country that has so many innovators, what, what, what is it that has created this mindset in so many people in our society that like has limit them, limit their thoughts? I think there's a couple things. The, the first one is the pressure and the, 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 the pace that with which we are now almost forced to work just to survive in terms of um, making ends meet, right? Yeah. So um, this gets a little bit economic, but understanding that the valuation of our current currency is so low now that you must have, uh, you know, you have to work a lot for the purchasing power. Mm -hmm. So you don't have a lot of time. And the fact that you don't have a lot of time, you are influenced by whomever you spend your time with. And so the media, in my mind, has a very significant role to play here in how they view and what they're presenting. And at mm -hmm. some point, you know, in my career, Armand Young is, you know, whatever. I actually worked as a, as a, disc, as a DJ, a radio DJ. Yeah. And at that time, I was in junior high or high school. And there were something like 400 different independent uh, media companies. And we're now down to a handful, six. There's been a consolidation. And not mm -hmm. only that, but there was a, re a law that was uh, relaxed and you're not required to show multiple sides of an issue. You can actually just show one side. And I think if we perceive what we see in the media um, as fact, you are going to be influenced by just that channel. And keep in mind also, Armand, that news, my news director back in, in radio taught me this. He goes, Danny, news is an acronym. It's notable events, weather, and sports, N-E-W-S. It is not, that does not mean fact. It just means notable events, weather, and sports. There's news. Mm -hmm. We, what I hear people talk about news, they assume that it's factual. And often cases, it is just a perspective. Perspective. And so you must seek out other perspectives at exactly the time when you have the least amount of time and energy probably to do it in order to gain a perspective of what's going on truly. Mm -hmm. That's part of the challenge too, Armand. And I feel like other than only the news itself, uh, another challenge that we have is the fact that this whole social media thing, you know, it also gives you a headline and a perspective, of, not even headline, a perspective about the headline. And yeah. that yeah. triggers a lot of emotion. Yes, sir, it does. It's a great point. People don't have the patience so that they've not sought to go into the details. They will read the conclusions, right? And it's part of why we've, you know, part of the PCN solution challenges that right there. It's no longer acceptable to tell me your interpretation of the evidence, show me the evidence and allow me to evaluate. And I think we've lost a little bit of that drive, mm -hmm. right, in terms of our country. So the country of innovators is stuck, potentially. I, well, actually, I, I, I don't think we're stuck innovating. I think we are stuck executing. We have problems on execution of the innovation. We will okay. always be a country that challenges. But I think that's part of it, is that you must seek out right, alternative views 
and get into the information yourself. See the evidence, not just somebody's presentation or their conclusion of the evidence. Think about it this way, Armand. Back in the 70s, when I was first watching the news, you had uh, you know, Walter Cronkite, for example, on as uh, the anchor. Okay. And, and there was three channels, right? ABC, CBS, NBC. And he would be, and all of the anchors would be just telling you, it's a one, it was a one-way communication. As you read the newspaper, it's a one-way communication, right? If you have a physical newspaper. But something changed in the 90s that completely destroyed that, the, the power of that right there. And that was the internet. And the fact that now we have message boards that can make it a two-way communication or a multi-way communication. You can have a dialogue directly back and forth and challenge assumptions. That changed the game right there. And I think that I think is a threat to, the, to whomever is in power. And so part of it is they want to control the messaging inside of whatever channel they have. Back to your, your original point, right? About what's in the way for this country to innovate, multiple, a lack of perspectives, a lack of engaging um, contra or counter opinions, mm -hmm. right? Everything that we've talked about in terms of problem definition, but then making it a two-way dialogue. Yeah. I think those things would enhance, make it better. I love that. And right. And it's a country that's a free speech. Let's leverage. Right. That's also, I don't think, a coincidence, Armand. Think about it. If we're the country of innovators, the reason that you can do that is because you can make challenge, challenge assumptions. You can you can have a difference of opinion. Science, if you look at the history of science, it's constantly challenging conclusions. That's the definition of science. I personally I disagree with anybody that says science is settled on any topic. Regardless, and that's not indicating my stance on anything that's out in the, in, in the, uh, no. in the, the political realm right now. Mm -hmm. It's just facts. Science is constantly challenging and looking to either continually disprove a negative or prove a positive. But it's impossible to prove a negative. It's impossible. So you must do one of the other two, right? Disprove the negative or prove the positive. And seeking that out is really what we need to be doing more of, I believe, to answer your question. So you said disprove the negative or prove the positive. Right. So you either continually disprove the negative or you find that you prove the positive. Right. One of those, either of those two can happen. But can you prove a negative? I would argue you cannot. And so, why think, not? Let's let's get to that. Why a negative event. Yeah, it it doesn't exist. So it's it's challenging. I guess my point, Armand, more than that structure is to continually question, to continually challenge. Okay, not is the definition of science. Mm -hmm. And when you are seeking to innovate, you must have the freedom to challenge assumptions. Must. And if, or, or conclusions in this case, must. And that comes in an area in a country of free speech where you can stop and you know, say, wait a minute, the earth's not the center of the universe. And that was just you know, mind blowing when it first came out. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Think about that, right? The fact that someone, you know, had the courage to say that. Those are the, that's the formula for innovation. And I feel like we, I mean, you, you have been like blessed by the founding fathers that they gave them the recipe to innovate. Yeah. 100%. Yep. And now it's our jobs to, you know, protect that recipe. Yeah. But we must do it civilly, right? Civil discourse and understand that, you know, your brother, your sister could have a different opinion completely that's valid from their perspective. Go seek it out. Go listen. You know, I'm very curious to know, I mean, this is not necessarily something we need to talk about right now, but like, did they think about innovation when they came up with the recipe or they came up with the recipe and innovation was the child? You know what? I don't, that's a great, great, it's a great question. But I do know that in 1918, think back to when Einstein was looking at the patent, working at the patent office, they thought that they had, oh no, this was the late 80s. In 1800s and in the late 1800s and mid 1800s, they thought that everything that could be invented was invented already, but there was such a massive push, right? Yeah. Um, so it also was, you know, coupled by the fact that we had a meritocracy here mm -hmm. where if you worked hard, you were rewarded with the benefits of your ideas. You reaped the rewards. So I think that that also is part of it. And what was it intentional? I don't, you know, was that the objective? I don't know. But I do think that the founding fathers, this is not unique. This is not new. These problems that we're facing as a, as a world. Mm -hmm. And you can look and learn from history. But we are the only country in history to have ever been founded on freedom. And so from that perspective, it's an experiment, right? We're a couple hundred year old experiment that was founded on freedom. And I think we need to engage that in order to innovate. That's part of the innovator, right? Is mm -hmm. having the freedom and then the courage to challenge boundaries, assumptions, uh, definitions. Let's just replay the entire podcast. You start thinking about it that way. Mm -hmm. Was it intentional by the founding fathers? I have no idea, but that's a fantastic question. People that are going to listen to this are, there might be people that are facing a lot of challenges and they hit the wall a lot. And sometimes, I mean, I feel like if you want to think about uh, happy, successful people, which is only, I, in my opinion, five to ten percent of the whole population of the world, uh, when they hit the wall, they fall down. They don't break the wall and move on. So, as a as a as a as a as a puzzle solver, as a strategist, <laughs> what do you do when you hit the wall? What do I personally do when I hit the wall? Yeah. Well, I, I tend to hit it again. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I tend to, you know, you pick it up and you try again. And um, it's, if you define happiness as, as only having, you know, success, uh, I think you're setting yourself up for some disappointment. I don't think happiness is, is, has anything to do with like success necessarily. Oh. No, happiness is all about how you feel within yourself. I agree. But I would, I would submit to you that likely the 90% that you were talking about that might be unhappy might have that as part of their definition of success. Mm. I would, that's part of it is to redefine the debt, redefine it. 
right? What is success? What's happiness? You know, mm-hmm. and I think it's different for each person. And to embrace that, I think is really truly the important part. What's your, what are you, what are your personal strengths? What do you bring? What, what's unique about Armand? What's unique about Mike? What's the Danny? Whatever. What's unique, and how do you bring that and fully live and embrace the value of what uh, what it is that who you are to society? And I think then. When you are helping others, I think is an also an important aspect of happiness, mm-hmm. truly. Um, when you help other people, you know, then it comes back to you. And that, mm-hmm. that's what I would encourage, right? So when you, when you hit that wall, whatever the proverbial wall is, if it's yeah. failure, if it's resistance, if it's lack of time, if it's a personal event in your life, uh, whatever it is, you know, you don't let it stop you. It sounds it, simple, but yeah. I think it's a part of it. You know, I feel like when you think about creatively, when you hit the wall, you have a couple, even a couple of different options. You can go around the wall. You can destroy the wall. Uh, you can climb the wall. You know, there are so many different ways, you know, to deal with the, the, the obstacles. You can go in a different direction. Go in a different direction. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Remove the wall. I mean, ignore the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ignore the wall. Yeah. There is just like, and you even can think about the wall never even existed. Yeah. It's my ignore it. Yeah. Ignore it. Ignore it. Don't mm-hmm. accept it as a limitation. I know it sounds strange to have that example that I mean, it's a little, little, vague not vague is the wrong word it's um ephemeral right it's not specific but i think that that those are some of the thoughts right mm-hmm. they would have get yourself up do it again and then happiness i think comes from helping i believe at least mine does helping others once you do that with your gifts or you share them then i mean then you're truly happy right i think you have a chance to be happy and i feel like uh if you, if you walk around a college campus and ask like people, what do you want to do? A lot of people will say, I want to help. I want to help people. You know, I feel like that's, that's, a, that's, a, at least, you know, at least from a lot of conversations I have with people, like I want to help people been a very, very, very common answer. <laughs> but, but why and how they want to help people has been the questions that has not been answered. I think it's different for each person, don't you? Oh, it is 100% different for each person. How and why they want to help. For sure. Yeah. And till, till, till you, I feel like, till you figure out how and why, mainly even why, you so just want yeah. yeah. to go turn around. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Well said. I'm glad you came onto my podcast, Armand. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Michael came up with a very great question. I know we moved uh, kind of a little bit from the innovation topic, but I want to ask you. It says, at what point does innovation turn into destruction or isn't, is that even a possibility? Who says, in order to innovate, you are often destroying. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a creative destructive process that happens. So you are... I'll tell you one of the one of the first 
solutions I did after I did the supply, you know, rebuilt the supply chain. I was presented with a problem from another very large, you know, company. And I yeah. realized that, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we ran this backwards through the system, we could actually, we could actually solve it. Mm-hmm. And so we destroyed the, the, the system. We destroyed mm-hmm. it. We ran it backwards. And we're able to you know, solve and innovate, bring something different to the table. So yeah, you're going to destroy something, whether it's, a, whether it's an assumption, a perceived limitation, an actual limitation, a system, something physical, there's going to be a destructive process, I think, in, a, in innovation by nature. That's, I guess, maybe a strong hypothesis. I don't know. I hadn't thought it through entirely until you just said that, Michael, but that's an excellent question. I think it was an amazing question, yeah. Um, we're getting close to the end of the podcast. Um, <laughs> Danny is so happy. <laughs> I can relax now. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but I'll, I have a couple, couple of questions left. Um, first question. These are going to be a little bit different than um, the problem solving. But it, it will be more about uh, a life of the, the life of a problem solver. Aren't we all problem solvers, Armand? We are all problem solvers, but do we all know we are problem solvers? Okay. The life of a problem solver. Okay. Yeah. What is your question? When was the last time you cried and why? Just the other day. Just the other day? Yeah, a friend of mine was in a lot of pain, and we were actually we were actually talking spiritually mm-hmm. about um, about God, and she realized yeah. that she was angry yeah. with, with God, and she cried, and I cried at her reaction to that. So it was a personal revelation. That was the last, you know, that was the last time. And it was just a couple of days ago, sharing that moment together, right? Mm-hmm. Vulnerability, and it was. You know, I guess we were problem solving life, right? Mm-hmm. She's facing some challenges. And so that for me, boy, it hit me hard. And that, that hit me hard. Do you feel comfortable embracing your emotions? More so now than I used to be, for sure. Am I fully? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But I think to your point, your challenge to me here a few weeks ago, I think that's the intuitive side. Mm-hmm. You just let your body, your brain, your mind, your soul put it all together and have a reaction. There's some validity in that. You got to trust some of the instincts that you've got. And that's really what you're talking about. Are you comfortable in just being in the moment and having a reaction? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the reactions that we all have are inappropriate. I think we all have to look at that and go, wait a minute, whoa, did I really do that? Um, but as far as having emotions, you know, that is, I think, a skill that everyone has a journey on. I'm still working on that journey myself way better than I used to be. How about that for an answer? That, that was a great answer. Danny, I want to add something to it. Uh, I feel like being able uh, to embrace emotion is, is a very important step towards creativity. Because I feel like when, you, when you're able to embrace your emotions, you're able to block that bias, the bias that you have towards any problem. You know, whatever, whatever comes to you, if you let your emotions come out first, 
and embrace them before making that decision, there's more likely that you're gonna make a way more creative and a more logical decision. Well, now that's what's really interesting and you know, uh, embedded in your, your argument there mm -hmm. that we are all human. Mm -hmm. And the thing that humans share is that we all have emotions, everybody, emotions. everybody, unless you're, unless you're a Vulcan, <laughs> well, then you're not human, yeah. you know, Spock, right? That's really, really interesting. The, the analogy on Star Trek is Spock is a, is a character that actually is half human, half Vulcan and how he struggles. That's mm -hmm. really what jumped into my head. You know, when you had that example, everybody, we are all human. We are all have emotions. There's no way around it. There's no way, no way around it, no way around it. So you know, you, you may be onto something there, Armand, is that you lean in and embrace, maybe you can see more clearly. Some people try to ignore. And I think that that is probably not the most healthy way to your point yeah. of dealing with anything, but uh, the great observation, I love it. I'm gonna remember that one. I feel like uh, igno ignoring the emotions, at least for me, it is like more personal. For me, ignoring emotions and not embracing them it's, it's the same as moving on without solving the problem, emotional problem within you. Yeah, I think that's true. And then you end up with, I mean, we all have baggage, right? But then you have it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a limitation. It's an anchor, something in the way. And, you know, more, more ignorance, I feel like, will break your, break your back way faster than when you embrace them, you know, and you feel way more fulfilled. Sure. Um, let's see. That wasn't uh, a deep question at all, my gosh. <laughs> You cover a lot of ground here. Um, do you have any other questions, Michael? Do you want to ask? All right, let me see. I, I have a lot here, you know, to ask you. Um, <laughs> okay, how about this one? Um, you, yeah, this actually, I'm curious how you're gonna answer this question. Do you feel respected for who you are? That's an interesting question. Is it, you know, it's interesting, Armand, because, you know, I'm reaching out to friends that I haven't talked to recently. It's one of my efforts right now that I'm trying to yeah. do. Old friends, right? College acquaintances, college friends. Mm -hmm. And um, people's perspective of who you are is, re is, is based on when they knew you, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody is evolving. Everyone is growing and changing. Yeah. So their answers are different, right? Mm -hmm. Their answers are different. So do I feel, you know, respected for who I am? You know, certainly from, you know, the people that understand what I do and who I am. Um, yeah, those, those closest to me, for sure, for sure. But I think that's also because I'm becoming more confident in who I am and what I, you know, what my approach, what I bring, what I don't engage people where I've got my you know, flaws or where I've got my gaps. Mm -hmm. And I think that also has to do with the respect. I think, mm -hmm. I don't know. That was a, that was a bumbly answer, but I think that that's an excellent question. I feel like a follow-up to that would be, do you care if you're respected? Ooh. Yes, in certain, in certain areas, I do. Um, in other areas, I don't 
it's so interesting. Some places I don't really think I'm not drawn from respect mm -hmm. for people who, for example, maybe I don't respect. Mm -hmm. Or if I have a different value than somebody else, I am less drawn by their perspective and opinion of it as I am my own or as the people, my peer group, my, my community, right? My extended mm -hmm. community. So yes and no. I certainly do within, you know, family structures, friend structures, you know, working culture, right? The, the teams that you choose to be around, absolutely. The people that might not hold the same value sets as I, as I do, I'm less concerned about their respect for me and I don't. I feel like that, that can come from a point of confidence because I feel like when you feel way more confident within your own skin and who you are, the less you will care about, about the opinions and, you know, yeah. the respect from outside. I think that's fair. And yeah. if you try to please everybody, you'll end up pleasing nobody. 100%. Uh, the last question, which Promise. I have. Promise. <laughs> Promise. Depends, on what, depends on what you answer. <laughs> Stressing me out. Oh, God. Um, so the last question I ask everyone uh, is, what is the biggest lesson you ever learned in your life? The biggest lesson I've ever learned in my life. You can't do it alone. Okay. Biggest, biggest lesson for me, and, and it was, you know, I think there's a bit of relearning that lesson over and over again. Mm -hmm. But you, this is, uh, life is not a solo sport. It is a team sport. 100%. That's the biggest lesson. It's not the what so much as the who. You know, I used to focus when I was young, Armand, about the what. And when I say what, problem, right? Details, all this yep. stuff, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I realized is that it's partially to do with the what. And realize we've just spent however long we have talking about the what, the problem, right? That's mm -hmm. the what. But really, what's important is the who. Mm -hmm. So think of the who. And that, for me, is one of the biggest lessons, if not the biggest lesson that I've learned in my life. It's the who. It's not the what, it's the who. I love that. And were you ever like a, a, a solo player? Yeah. 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 Yeah, younger, I was, I was a, very much a solo player for a number of different reasons. But um, yeah, and then you know, learned that, that that's, not, that's not how you succeed. That's not how you can be effective. That's not how you be fulfilled. That's not how you can add value. It's not how you be happy. All those things that you've asked, none of them come from the solo. None of them from the solo approach here. Love that. Um, so we call ourselves the Yes I Am, Yes I Am podcast because we believe you can put any word, anything in front of Yes I Am and become that person. We, we believe the mindset and the belief is the most important thing you need in your life. So if Danny wants to put something in front of yes, I am, what would it be? Yes, I am what? Yes, I am enough. Love that. <laughs> enough. If everybody had that attitude, I think it would be better. Everyone needs to understand you are enough. Mm -hmm. You are enough. That's actually something that I've been talking a lot about recently. Okay. I'll bring it up. I feel like I talked about it uh, in one of the one of the meetings. I don't think you were there, but yeah, you know, when when you start getting more more confident within yourself, you will come with that conclusion. You are enough. 
you are enough. You are enough. I love that. Sometimes you have to share that message with others, and sometimes you need to hear that message from others. I love that. All righty. All right, uh, buddy. I'm done. Am I free? Am I here? Did I pass? <laughs> Good Lord. Okay, is there anything else you want to add before you say goodbye? <laughs> oh, we haven't said goodbye yet. I thought that was it. No. <laughs> This has been this was this has been great. I appreciate it. I I, I am a, uh, was a little stressed out here, but this was great to have the conversation. I appreciate it. I really Thank appreciate you. I hope that I hope that it added value and some insight to some people's lives as they listen. Did Michael? Did you enjoy the conversation? Oh, I loved it. It added value to my life. There you go. Uh, all right, all right. That makes me smile. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure to subscribe and share with your friends. And as always, yes, I am.